This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Ben Eipert and... Uh, we're going to talk some arrows today. So, Ben, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. So, my name is Ben. I'm one of the owners over at Vector Arrows and kind of deal with more of the information and engineering side of things. And we build some cool stuff this year and killed some stuff. And we're going to kill more stuff. <laughs> what kind of stuff? Well, I think as a conglomerate, we've killed a handful of deer, a couple bulls, a couple mule deer. I think one guy got an antelope and a lot of pigs is killed like 20 something pigs in texas this weekend it's a lot of pigs how many guys There's a lot of how pigs. many guys went down there's like, like five or six of them they got that's busy one night Jeez. Yeah. oh that's fun at least and it's uh a lot of good r&d so uh oh yeah they broke a lot of stuff broke stuff You're yeah they missed supposed the to break <laughs> yeah it turns out if you smoke a chain leak fence it actually will break an arrow Okay, or uh, does an arrow break when you shoot a tailgate of a truck? No, no, but the person's tailgate might not be very happy about it. So how's that work? <laughs> what was the purpose behind that? Well, we were kind of sitting there and we were like, so there's an issue inside of Vector where we're a lot of guys that all have a very similar sense of humor and are probably not going to say no, something's a bad idea. And we collectively agreed that shooting someone's tailgate with a broadhead would be really entertaining so we had to find a way to work that in and that was really just about it we just needed a way to have an excuse to shoot someone's truck so what was the sharpness test afterwards um so we beat the crap out of a broadhead it was our md3 which 
we just we're shipping pre-orders right now which is pretty cool and we've got a guy actually has already killed 14 animals with this thing and they leave an incredible hole and even the guys down in texas this weekend have been using it and it's just like a golf ball pretty much but yeah so we shot in a concrete tin foil well it was sheet steel but pretty much tin foil um plate steel landscaping blocks and a tailgate and then put it on a belt sander and got it back to shaving sharp in about five minutes not the same so, broadhead right yeah same broadhead I, it's in here somewhere it might be this one i actually don't know which one it is how, I, how it home thick, with me. I gotta know how thick was the plate steel uh so we shot the it was like a 20 gauge plate steel which is pretty thin but the actual like hunk of solid steel was about three inches thick like it was just a piece of scrap metal we found laying around it was like a giant hunk of iron. Okay. And then, so the landscaping block. That was just yeah, just a regular, like a cinder block or like a like like we were a driving solid out. paver. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, oh, we should grab that and shoot it. And it ended up in the bed of the truck. And it just, that's the way that went. There was very little planning involved in this. How much did it deform the broadhead? It didn't. Okay. So let's get into that then, because I'm curious, what is, what are they made out of? Uh, what's like the hardness, Rockwell hardness and stuff like that? So it's an S7, which is a die steel. So it's incredibly impact resistant. And we take it up to 59 Rockwell, which that's really hard. Yes, it is. Hard like, to sharpen too. Incredibly. That's why we recommend <laughs> power tools. Okay. So um, when you're touching them up, what's the best method to touch them up? and keep them sharp because that's the easiest way is to just touch them up and keep them sharp and you don't ever have to worry about actually redefining that edge once it's lost so i recommend a leather strop for that if you don't beat it up too bad which it's really hard to take the edge off this thing if you just shoot through an animal and pass into soft dirt go pick it up clean it off rub it on a strop just to kind of polish those edges back and you should be good to go it's a 60 degree compound angle. So you're not going to get an incredibly fine edge. What you're mainly looking for at this point is a very fine edge finish. That's going to be a little bit lower friction. It's going to cut a little cleaner. I mean, you can definitely get them shaving sharp, but just touching it up by hand, your best, best going to be get it to polish with a straw. So um, a lot of times, and I'll use like 600 grit or 800 grit sandpaper to kind of really polish it or put an edge back on it rather than try and sharpen it just touch it or even a thousand grit right if if it's a little bit too dull or um you tend to over polish it with a strop because that can somewhat happen if it's already dull you're just polishing it rather than actually putting that edge micro edge back on it but yeah so uh, if i actually got sandpaper right here (laughs) 1500 grit wet dry yep and pretty much you can just set it on it flat and rub it back and forth. It's a 60 degree compound angle without a power tool. It's not going to probably shave on a best scale. It's like five or four or 500 grams, which com- apples to oranges. It's not going to be as sharp as something like our VBS uh, rage hypodermic, which actually comes sharp. They just don't like a butter knife on an animal or other broadheads. It's just, it's a harder steel. It's also going to deform less when it goes through an animal. Like you can take some three blade broadheads. I've got some in my, office slash shop here somewhere and you can get them pretty sharp you shoot it through you know a foam target it comes out dull whereas this thing i mean it's you're not going to deform this unless you do something seriously bad to it like it's not going to happen and that's just a function of the steel so not even the tip or anything is it a chiseled point on the tip or what's what's the tip uh 
It's just a triangle. Just a triangle. It's, so yeah. it's essentially when 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 sharpening. I'm trying to. You just flip it and lay it flat, and and uh, press it forward on whatever you're trying to. Yep. To utilize forward, like side on to side. Shot. Yep. And or that whatever. <laughs> you see it. What's the easy. correct method? <laughs> Probably like a uh, forward angle, or no? I don't. I mean, I, I, like what if it was me? Like I take a wet. I take a it's a one K stone, a fifteen hundred K stone. Well, fifteen hundred K is obviously not that. It's a fifty. So thousand grit and a fifteen hundred grit stone. And I'll just kind of, it's not long enough to like run it lengthwise. So I just kind of wiggle it around in a circle. Okay. Um, at this point, you're just trying to take off some material to kind of bring that edge back to life. And it's not really, it's not rocket science. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it's just like if you, it's, it's S7 steel. If you don't have, I mean, you can do it on a stone. I've done it. But if you don't have like a belt sander or something, you're going to have a bad day. But that's why we sharpen it for you. That's why we ship it sharp. And that's why we made it out of, S7 is you're never it takes a lot of work to get to the point where you got to really go at it with power tools. So are you saying if somebody buys them, dulls them, they can send them back and you'll sharpen them? No. <laughs> no, it's like 49 no. bucks at Harbor Freight. <laughs> yeah. And, and like you could totally do it by hand, but I just wouldn't overthink it cuz your goal is just to take off them as much material as possible, which is difficult cuz of how hard it is. So um that's not very helpful, but lay it flat, you, rub it back and forth till that edge comes back. Do you have a problem rotate. with like heat dissipation or anything like that when uh, when you're running it on a belt sander? Or are you just touching it to it? No, now? you're not like yeah, super aggressive, yeah, you, right? Yeah, so you're just letting pretty much the weight of the head float itself, and that's all you're doing. If you actually press down, you can roll that burr where a belt sander is not absolutely perfect. It's going to actually have some compression and give. So if you just set it on it lightly and rotate it, that's your best bet. All right, so go buy a belt grinder, get yourself some uh, heat dissipating belts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or just don't yeah. miss. Don't miss. Um, yeah. No, no, it sounds good. Um, what was the thought and everything kind of that went into the design of that? I personally love a broadhead that's a three blade that you can just push down and rotate as long as you keep it flat and get that edge. It's kind of a neat concept. Some of the older broadheads from back in the day had that, and then all of a sudden they just disappeared, and they weren't really out there anymore. And uh, yeah, made me sad. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of operated under a couple really simple premises here with this head. One is short and stubby flies gooder. So we made it short and stubby, but you also don't want it to have a really small hole because – bigger holes leave better blood trails. It's not at all random. That's not true, but a bigger hole is going to work better more often than not. So we wanted the 125s an inch and a quarter cut, the 100 grains an inch and an eighth, and they're both similar blade angles. We just shortened them. So the goal was to get as large of a cutting diameter as possible without sacrificing too much in terms of cutting efficiency. Because if you get to a steeper angle, it's pretty much you have an XY axis where you're vertical axis is the angle of the blade meaning the actual angle and then your y-axis is the well your x-axis i guess the other one would be the actual bevel of the angle and as that bevel gets sharper it cuts with less force and as that bevel gets steeper it cuts with more force so pretty much what you're looking at is getting a balance between those two to where it still gives you the flight that you want so this head it's pretty short stubby and it's got a fairly aggressive angle and it's got a 60 degree compound angle, which is just not going to be that sharp. Um, a good example is our VVS, which is your standard tube blade with bleeders, is a 38 degree angle and it's, it's incredibly sharp. 
However, this head doesn't get as sharp, but due to the blade angle, the fact that it short stubby and flies well, and all the other stuff, it still penetrates incredibly well. And the fact that it's made out of S7, so it's never going to dull. You might not start as sharp, but you're probably not going to end any duller. So that's kind of where this head came from is saying, hey, how do we get something that short stubby flies good, has leaves a big enough hole and isn't going to be so short and stubby that doesn't penetrate well. And we got this and also penetration of a compound is pretty much a moot point for most people because they push a lot of energy. So most of the modern and pulse, too, unless yeah, most, you're shooting yeah. incredibly light arrows. And then, yeah, it, and even, I mean, even a light arrow, like once you hit like that 420 grain mark and even like 400 grains, it, it's, it's a sliding scale, mainly depending on like your overall draw length and stuff. Like if I shot a 400 grain arrow, it would be comical because I have a 32 and a half inch draw. Whereas <laughs> like my girlfriend, she's a 400 grain arrow and it's like going 265. Like there's very different things there. So a light arrow for me is like 480 grains. So kind of different there but for the most part penetration is not so much an issue so you kind of get away with it but we took this head i'm holding it up for people to see you know there's no video being recorded um sorry yeah yep <laughs> so pretty much what this head looks like is it's just a couple of triangles mashed together with a ferrule that has very very low amounts of exposed surface area and not at all aggressive taper because we did find that any kind of aggressive taper that's not actively cutting very much increases friction and we also found that well, that's really it, actually. So <laughs> short, stubby, flies great, leaves a big hole. And the hole this thing leaves is incredible. And part of that's due to that aggressive light angle is you're going to stretch hide and you're actually cutting with more of a chopping motion than you are with a slicing motion. It'd be similar to like if I took like a drywall spatula and pressed down on something. Now it's not a flat angle, but same thing versus if I take a chef's knife and try to slice through it. One's going to do a lot more damage, whereas this leaves a hole that's about the size of a golf ball. And I can actually text you some of these pictures of the holes this things leave just for the sake of the conversation. But that was kind of the other part of the goal is you don't, one of the issues we have with broadheads is always going to be blood trails. And there's really nothing you can do aside from leave a bigger hole. The, there, you can do like where the sharpness is going to change, affect the clotting cascade and all that stuff. However, it's just kind of not like, your forest for the trees a bigger hole is going to give it to you so how can you maintain a larger hole kind of like we see with a mechanical broadhead while still using a fix to do it and one of the things that seems to be apparent with this head is that steeper blade angle combined with a less steep bevel angle leaves a very very large hole and it's that's one incredible. of my problems uh that i have with my current broadheads they're sharp they stay sharp they penetrate well but the end of the day they don't leave that big of a hole and i don't hardly ever get that much blood <laughs> ever yep. and, I mean, and i mean whether it's a double lung one lung liver doesn't matter the shot um or even well i can't say other than clipping a heart but uh i don't, I don't do that many heart shots but uh any <laughs> at the end of the day anyway there's not that many blood trails. So many times I find that it's only a few drops and there's the deer dead, whether it be, you know, 120 yards from where I shot it or 60 yards. It's just, yeah. there's not a lot of blood. And that is yeah. one thing that uh, I'm going to have to look into then. So, so the point, the moral of the story is right there is bigger cutting surface or bigger hole, not even necessarily cutting surface, but bigger exit wound is what creates more blood. 
Yeah, it, it, that's kind of, it sounds really obvious. And yeah, the exit wound's a huge part because like I shot a two-inch mechanical this year. I shot one bull and had, it died in 80 yards, but I didn't have great blood because there was no exit and it was about a 40-yard, 30-yard shot at a 40-degree angle downhill. So, you know, you go through the onside shoulder and you stick in the rear ham. It runs and dies in sight, but you didn't have any blood because that cavity couldn't fill up. So there's a lot that goes into it and giant cutting area or not, that's not always the end all be all. Like out of a tree stand, the worst shot you could ever take is a high single lung without an exit because not really necessarily the worst shot, but it's one of the hardest to get good blood on. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. And one of the things that will definitely help it is having a broadhead that's going to provide a little bit of a stretching effect on the hide, three blades that are going to help stop it from kind of clotting back together. And ultimately just like, I mean, we've all shot stuff with a two blade that zips right through it. And you got a tiny little slit and I've had great blood trails and bad blood trails. And the good ones were like, you shoot it straight to the back of the spine, out the stomach or out the front of the chest. It's probably one of the best I've had. Or I've had some other ones where you shoot it broadside up pretty much on level. And it's like, Oh, this ain't going to go good. So there's a lot of factors that go into it, but a bigger hole is going to obviously help. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you see that picture I just sent over, that's pretty incredible. I, Oh, you don't have it. it. I don't have it. No, um, no. That's, that's the right person. No, it's everything's on airplane mode right now. <laughs> we're, oh, we're recording. LOL. So <laughs> bad podcast etiquette. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so let's talk about the other broadhead and kind of the reason for that broadhead versus the R. It's RBS, right? Is that it's the VBS, so VBS, the variable blade system. Variable blade system. Let's kind of go into that and why you guys chose that as well. Oh yeah. That's, that's a massive exit hole. Just so everybody that's, knows. Is that bone yeah. sticking out as well? I don't think so. I think that's just where this actual like highs rumpled. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's the stretching effect we're talking about. Normally it's something, I mean, we all hear about the slap cut of a mechanical. Well, it's just mechanisms happening as it penetrates. And if you can replicate that with a fixed blade, you maintain some efficiency and also the peace of mind of them not using a mechanical. For some of, people, peace of mind and also less loss of energy transfer. I mean, the, you figure yeah. you transfer quite a bit of energy, or at least with with the mechanical. You know, and it, like I don't know, you're you're the engineer, so it, it, well, tell I me. only play one on the internet. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, it just depends. I mean, there are some mechanicals that are going to eat up a ton of energy, and there's others that seem to work a lot better. It just depends, and at the end of the day, like. If you don't miss, none of it matters, but we're all miss sometimes. So you got you can decide do you want something that's gonna punish you when you miss or something more likely to miss? Because whether we like it or not, fixed blades are I don't like to think like, of it as miss. I like to think of it as well, I wasn't exactly aiming there, but I hit the deer. <laughs> oh. I mean each their own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you could say whatever you want, but at the end of the day, I mean is aiming at a shoulder blade a bad thing if it goes blast punch right through it and goes out the other side? Well, if you weren't aiming at it, you hit it though. <laughs> well, it just depends. I mean, like I, I'm not one guy to give up shot angles. I shoot a 75 pound bow, 32 and a half inches. If something's quartering too, we just hand, you know, hammer down. Um, but at the same time, it's like, know what your setup does. If you're shooting 27 inches at 60 pounds, maybe you should have different expectations. And if you choose to shoot a mechanical, then just, acknowledging that you're going to be punished more on the back end by a shot placement than you would be punished with a fixed blade on the front end by tune or form. So Absolutely. it's a give or take of the situation. So it's 
you know, just be realistic with what you're using and rock it. So let's talk about the, the variable blade system though, a little bit. Let's kind of, um, what's the key features that are different, uh, you know, other than obviously variable blade, you can replace it. Right. I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah. All right, cool. It's not to cut you off. Um, <laughs> uh, pun intended. Um, so the VB, the VBS or the variable blade system, it has two, well, three weight options, 100 through 150 grains. There's two secondary blade sizes for a seven eighth and an inch and an eighth without changing your weight overall. We just adjust the venting as well as two main blade options with an inch and a quarter solid or an inch and a quarter vented, which is used to adjust weight. And there were other during the prototyping phase, we actually got close to bringing these to production, but just due to some supply chain issues, we kind of held off on it. There were some additional sizes that would also be able to be swapped in and out without changing the overall weights. So that's why it got that name. And without the other parts being brought in, it doesn't really make a ton of sense for the name. But essentially the goal of this was to offer a mid price point broadhead that had excellent materials and excellent tolerances and wasn't gonna pretty much took the question mark out of your head. Because there's a lot of those heads in that this, these are $64.99 a three-pack in that price range that you're either paying $60 to $70 for a head that's probably worth $40, or you're paying $60 for a head that's probably worth less than that. Like you see a lot of that price range in the middle is your kind of specialty heads that are either okay or very much not okay. So there wasn't <laughs> any great standouts there. And I mean, there's great heads at the lower price level, like at a the Grim Reaper Micro Hades is one. The QAD Exodus is one. Those are awesome heads. Then you have the high end, which is like an Iron Will, which are probably some of the best broadheads ever made. There was nothing in that middle price point that was a really standout option. You have some longer two-blade single bevels that have durability concerns or flight concerns. You have a bunch of stuff in there, but nothing that was really just a reasonable option. Or it was a really, really good $44.95, a three-pack option that they just raised the price on. So we came out with this. We either have a grade five titanium ferrule, which is, you know, pretty durable, and then a hardened stainless steel ferrule, and the blades are all hardened 440C stainless steel as well. So we just kind of saw a gap there. We had a lot of people that were wanting something at that price point and looking for recommendations, and we couldn't find anything to recommend to someone other than say, hey, instead of buying two packs, go buy one pack iron wheels, which, you know, one pack of those will last you your whole life if you don't lose them, or go buy three packs of an Exodus and maybe you shoot another animal with it, maybe replace blades, whatever. At least they fly awesome and penetrate really well. So that's kind of where this guy came from. Yeah. So um, kind of curious, price point on that, what's the price point on the first broadhead we talked about? So the MD3, which is the mechanically disadvantaged three blade because it is so short stubby. We actually love that name because, you know, it's hilarious. Mechanically disadvantaged. <laughs> yes. Because okay. mechanical advantage doesn't really do what we think it, what it's popularly misunderstood to do what we people think it does. That's not really how that works, but that's why it's hilarious. That's great. Like comedy gold. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's $69.99 for a three pack. Those actually, we had some supply chain issues. So we're kind of had to put them on hold while we straightened those out. And this VBS is $64.99 a three pack. So if you're a fixed one, one piece, three blade guy, this is a really hard to beat option. They fly incredibly well. We got guys shooting them at over 300 foot a second out of compounds. I mean, I, I got a 420 grain arrow with an overdraw I'm shooting right now. I can get it to tune just fine, which I normally can't get to fly well. So that's just, the head's doing really, really well. And then the VBS as well. I mean, they just, it's a 
same kind of design where we try to keep most of the surface area closer to the back of the collar. That way it is not going to act as have as much leverage on flight and just keeping the head shorter overall help too, just to decrease surface area. What are you finding at distances? I mean, is it, is it flying true all the way out through, uh, you know, like say 60 yards or do you find some where it's starting to veer off a little bit now? Um, it's so if you have the right veins on, you're not going to have any issues. I mean, we've got guys shooting them at hundred yards. Isaac the other day went out and shot him at 95 and was shooting a softball myself. I've gripped him out to 85 and that's with the wrong veins and they were okay. But if there was a, I got a little torque here or something to go off, but that was using a way small vein because I was shooting mechanicals. I just want to see what happened. But anytime your fixed blades are too, anytime your boat, so this is a really good segue actually the way that you can define tuned in a compound bow is you're knocking your point leaving a straight line okay and then then you have a sufficiently stiff arrow which is what we focus on is having an arrow that's sufficiently stiff so that when it leaves in a straight line it's not going to oscillate off path or just kind of reverberate all over the place and bleed energy the whole way down range because you can make that happen too so if all that's correct and then you put enough vein on it to stabilize the front of the arrow. So for something like a, like right now I got Grim Reapers here on my desk, they're three blade mechanical. That's like what we recommend our 23 veins for us, a hybrid 23s and a four fletch. And then really for any other fixed blades, we really like the four fletch 26s just for the fact that if I want to go shoot them at hundred yards, it's going to have plenty of drag and plenty of vein to offer any correction to keep that flying well. And you're of course going to group a little bit different because there's going to be a little bit more drag. Like if your field points and your broadheads hit in the same dot at hundred yards, your bow's not tuned. They should hit an inch or two lower. So it's for, so yes, they fly very well, but really barring any tolerancing issues, most fixed blades are going to fly very well. So when you, when you mentioned the size, is it the length and the, or the profile? I mean, of the 26s versus the, I'm not familiar with the actual. Okay. So yeah. the, 23s are 2.3 inches long and they're a shorter vein and the okay. 26s are longer and taller. Okay. So you're going to get most of your correction from the height of the vein. The length does do something as well, but the height really is what does a lot of it. And that 26, it behaves pretty close to like a blazer does. It's a little bit lower and a little bit longer and it's a lot quieter. That's why we like it in a four fletch. So do you find it on the fletch? I'm sorry. Um, no, you're good. So on the fletching, do you typically tend to do four fletch versus the three fletch? Do you find that there's more correction with that or no? So when I run the three veins, we're normally recommending people run the, the HPs, which is a very, it's a blazer like profile. And the issues I personally have had with those is they'll catch wind a little bit more and they're a lot louder. So they'll offer plenty of correction to keep that broadhead flying well for that medium size, like our standard VBS size fits there. The normal iron wheels fit there. Like an Exodus flies there just fine. But for myself personally, I don't don't like the wind drift on the back of the arrow or how loud it is. So I'm going to go to the four flash 26s and just have a little more weight on the back of my arrow. Because to me, that's not really a big deal. Right. I mean, you're talking what, like five grains or less? Yeah, it's like an extra... I think it's eight grains, maybe either way, like it's not enough to make me say, I'd rather have a really loud arrow or I'd rather have a really, that, I mean, the wind drift is pretty substantial. Okay. Um, and then is there like a preferred angle of the fletch or anything like that degree of offset? 
Yeah. So that kind of just depends on what vein you're running. Like these, I believe we're running our longer veins to two degree. And, and when we run the four fletch, just because if you go too far past that, you kind of get some diminished returns and it can lead to some parachuting where it kind of that back end looks like it's floating or parachuting, I guess. Right. And then for the HP, which the blazer like profile, we run a little more aggressive offset. I think a two and a half or a three, just for the fact that there's less vein back there. You're trying to put a little more rotation into it. Nice. So let's talk about arrows a little bit. Okay. Because we've kind of gotten into that, but not fully yet. Um, components, choosing the right components, building. Um, you guys kind of have taken the guesswork out of that a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> can we talk about arrows then and building them? Yeah, sure. Um, so we, of course, have our own arrows, um, but we've, I know all of us have built a ton of arrows for other people's stuff. Kind of our rule of thumb for really that went to the design of our series, but also how we built arrows when we were using other people's parts uh, was find a carbon that has pretty good tolerances and is durable. So whatever that ends up being. And a lot of times that takes your component into consideration because the better your component, the more you can get away with with carbon. So go find a carbon that you like that's not going to break, not going to be any problems and go find a component that's going to get that front end to hold up well. And then find the right spine and point weight for that. So for us, that came out to our HMR and ZMR carbons with our OPC, which is pretty much just a one-piece collar that slides over the front of your arrow, which is nothing new in the industry. It's been around forever, but what we do a little different is we did pass some threads through to decrease leverage. We machine these to very tight tolerances, and we also use carbon that's specifically made as a lower modulus carbon to add more material, which reinforces that hoop strength, lets us rely on it. So we don't see any failures right there behind that component. So a lower modulus, you're saying thinner carbon that has more wraps, more rolls on the, is that what that means? Essentially it means that you're going to have more material to achieve the same stiffness. Right. Because it's a thinner, a thinner carbon that's being wrapped around. So it has to go more wraps to get that thickness. Is that which, so you, which you adds more, more? Right, it's more epoxy <laughs> resin. Essentially, more epo- okay. That's my understanding. I was so way pretty out. much. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's close because that's what it actually shows up as. Is you're wrapping. So when you wrap that carbon around it, you're actually wrapping in more resin than you are not more resin than you are carbon, but comparatively more than a higher modulus carbon, meaning that you're getting a different stiffness to weight ratio. So to achieve the same stiffness, like a two fifty spine of a low modulus carbon takes more carbon and resin than a 250 spine of a very high modulus. So if you look at our HMR and ZMRs, the wall thickness is actually thicker on the HMR than the ZMR for that reason. And yeah, the carbon itself will change as well and the way it's wrapped changes as well. But essentially what you're saying is the HMR takes more material to get to the same stiffness, which means it's a heavier carbon and it's gonna be more durable. And the ZMR is still a mid modulus carbon or even on the low end of a mid modulus carbon, but it's gonna take less slightly less material to reach the same step is what makes it a little bit lighter yep okay yeah um then i'm kind of curious about the um like it where it ends up on the wrap can kind of or at least some arrows the consistency isn't exactly the same and it causes flyers within the group you know of your dozen or whatever you have um, is there obviously some way to control that or something during the process to, to get them? Because 
I haven't found any that I felt like I really needed to even knock tune or anything like that out of the dozen of the HMRs that I've got. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Excuse me. Yep, so there's a couple of different things we do do. One is we match all the wave of the arrows, so you're not going to get any crazy variances because that's what most, so in any product in the archery industry, the most inconsistent parts of the carbon or the, it's the composite, but so your carbons and your fiberglasses. So on a bow, it's the limbs, on the arrow is the shaft. Um, pretty much what you end up with is, hey, this carbon weighs eight grains less across 32 inches than this over one over here. And so if that goes through the whole build process, all the other tolerances compound, that arrow gets thrown out, you grab a new one and put it in there. So that helps take out a big one because the lighter arrow is going to tune a little bit weaker because there's less material there. Or maybe it came out a little stiffer because their run of carbon wasn't quite on or whatever, but pretty much that helps take out a lot of it. And the other thing we do is we do test the deflection to find the quote unquote soft spot of the arrow. And what that really is, is it's just where that first layer of carbon creates a bit of a high spot on the ID of the shaft, which leads to a little bit thicker spot. And by aligning that, you're kind of aligning that inside diameter. You're, it's essentially called spine aligning, but you're not really aligning the spines of the arrow. You're just aligning where that tolerance is going to hit every single time. It achieves the same thing and it helps eliminate the flyers because when you're not tuning, you're trying to line them all at the same. You just don't know where that mark is. So, so you guys do that before it actually leaves and before you put your components on it then? Yep. So we go through and before, even before the shafts get screen printed, we find where that mark is. Okay. And that's why, so real early in the process, every shaft gets marked and said, oh, this is the high side. Okay. That's what we call it. That makes sense. Put a dot on it, whatever you got to do. And then when you yep. you put your knock and fletch it and everything, then everything's aligned already, which would explain why I didn't have a single flyer out of the dozen. Yeah, so that makes, it makes sense. That definitely yeah, makes that, sense then. And that's what we see with most people. Like you'll every now and then you'll find someone that needs to knock tune, like, you know, a quarter turn or whatever. But for the vast majority of people, we just don't see the need for it. And I think knock tuning has kind of been a little blown out of proportion lately. <laughs> it's kind of become like a cool thing. Like I've had guys call me like, Hey, I got a two inch paper tear and I turned all my knocks. It didn't get better. And I'm like, I don't think it's knocks causing a two inch paper tear. Um, <laughs> that so. might be the boat tuning. <laughs> yeah like that's kind of what we see more often than not like if you got one arrow that's tearing a quarter inch left and the others are all bullet holes yeah give her a twist otherwise it's probably your bow or you so i'm going to admit a very very shameful mistake that i recently made on a very very nice buck um and uh I shoot heavy arrows. In fact, they're probably too heavy. Um, not the HMRs, but the other arrows that I have, they are 618 grains overall weight. That's up there. That is up there. Um, especially, it wasn't as bad when I was shooting 70 pounds, but I dropped the bow down to 65, and that made a difference. 
in that trajectory arc. Um, and the buck was standing at 36.6 yards. I ranged him. I know this. Broadside, head behind a tree. Uh, quickly and instinctually, almost thinking, I turned my dial of my single pin to 40 yards. I draw back, <laughs> shaking a little bit, take a breath and settle myself, go through the process, let that arrow go, and it's about two inches over his back. That's a, quite a pin gap. Yes. Um, and <laughs> he looks around casually and strolls off, and that was the last available opportunity <laughs> I had on him. Um <laughs> And if I would have set my pin to 35, it would have been fine. But I put it at 40, and that's my fault, and it's a pin gap. And <laughs> So I think heavy arrows, people tend to take to the extreme these days just a little bit too much due to a few people. And uh, my buddy and I were talking about it. And... <laughs> <laughs> and uh <laughs> So I'm looking forward to the switch full-time to the HMRs, which will have way less of a trajectory arc than what I currently have. Um, but also, uh, I mean, if you look at uh, the Ashby Foundation's new recommendations for the ideal arrow, it's like a 1,000 or 1,100 grain overall weight arrow. And yeah. <laughs> Tapered so we actually shaft. commented on that post yeah. as we are the official light, either what it is like light game or small game era. Yeah. Of the Ashby Bow Hunting Foundation. <laughs> Which Should we're like, right. <laughs> is absolute insanity. I mean, <laughs> oh, man. that's like loading like 280 ground grain bullets in a, in a nine millimeter and still using a charge that you'd use for like 110 grains. I mean, like, hey, can I borrow that 338? I gotta go squirrel hunting later today. Yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you're like uh, Howard Hill or something like that, to <laughs> 85 or 110 pound long, I think 110 pound longbow, maybe. So, I don't know. Uh, like, we did the math actually, and my girlfriend's <laughs> she shoots like a 60 to one pound, 62 pound V3 at 27 and a half inches with a 416 grain arrow is more momentum and more kinetic energy than the 650 grain build from the actual research. And I mean, it's just absolute insanity. It's gotten carried away. Like <laughs> that whole, it, that whole thing's shaky. It's just no guys. <laughs> let's not do that. But let's think about that for a second though. So let's say that that deer 36.6 yards with my 1100 grain arrow. <laughs> Would you have got there? I think I would have gotten there. <laughs> but was there trees? If there were trees, you might not have gotten there. You might have hit like a treetop. What do you talk? It will go through trees. <laughs> what are you oh, that's about? Trees are mostly air. <laughs> yeah, they're mostly <laughs> air. They Yeah, so <laughs> I got that going for me. Anyway, so yeah, lighter arrows. The six hundred and eighteen grain trajectory arc is too big. I almost yeah. didn't even let's put it this way. On the HHA site where they give you like all the different uh scales for i almost didn't have one to put on my bow in fact um 
what's what's the other company? I'm trying to think uh, who the site I had. It was a three pin adjustable. So um, I think it was like Rocky, not Rocky Mountain, it's something like that. But anyway, I couldn't. They didn't even have a scale for it at at a 618 grain arrow, and I'm like, that's not even that far end of the spectrum. But I guess if everybody's shooting like 400 and something, it's kind of a little bit different. But Needless to say, I'm going to change it up a little bit next year because that pissed me off pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, the pin gap was that bad. I mean, I make a joke about this for a lot of people, but if you think about it, it really makes sense. It's like you're not, it's not a one to one ratio as far as that gap goes because you're kind of compounding two things. One is you're compounding the actual distance from pin to pin. So if you have a 20 yard and a 30 yard, if you're shooting a single pin, it's different that gaps further so you lose reference points but you're also increasing your margin of error between them if you're off on your range a little bit like if you'd range the tree behind it and the tree in front of it and you were guessing between that like now you just kind of added two more things off and it, it's kind of it's unnecessary to me i mean we see people blowing through stuff with 428 grain arrows and 480 grain arrows i mean it's just not necessary yeah it's not like i mean and it's go, not go for it's it. not worth it to me i mean Especially after that happened, that was like the final straw. You know what I mean? I'd never yeah. had, I'm like, oh yeah, well, my arrows blow through everything. And they do. I mean, like yeah. I've hit two shoulder blades, went right through them, you know, take the broad head, run it on a strap, good to go. But yeah. at the end of the day, if that pin gap's that bad and it's one tiny little arrow where you're five yards off, but that five yards between a 30 and 40, you know, or, you know, 35 and 40 is that big. I mean, that's like a seven, seven inch difference. Yeah. I mean, do you know how fast you're going? Any idea? Uh, probably. I do. Like I had 20. No, it's more than that. I want to say it's 70 like pounds. 230 something. I'm 65 yeah, now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, okay. I can see that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see most people that like 280 ish marks a good goal. Like you got a 28 and a half inch draw. You can hit that probably. I'm under, like, I'm under that currently with, with the boat at okay. 65. It's okay. under 270 feet per second. Yeah. Like I'd be curious. Like that's kind of where we push people now. Like you got like a 20 foot per second wiggle room, like 260 to 280. Your pin gaps aren't horrible. They're not great. But they're not bad. You can get fixed blades to fly really really well because they're not going so fast you have plenty of mass on your arrow it's going to quiet your bow down if you do hit something hard you're not gonna have any issues um like it's really a sweet spot for a lot of people and even like on the upside of that like the biggest detriment at 300 foot a second is just fixed blade flight i mean if you're getting there at the expense of a 380 grain arrow maybe that's not the best thing to be doing but really once you get into that like 400 like someone shooting 60 pounds at 28 inches, like a 420 grain arrow is a really reasonable arrow. Whereas someone like yourself, 28 inches, 28, 28 and a half. Yep. Like, I think like a ZMR for you would come out to like 440 grains, maybe 450. Like it's just kind of putting someone in a setup that, Hey, look, you can, it's not going to punish you too bad for range. It's going to go through anything you shoot it at because it's going to tune well and tune is the biggest predictor of penetration second to energy. And you got plenty of energy going for you and you can kind of just rock that and you'll have a great time and, you know, not miss six inches over a buck's back for a four yard for a three and a half yard range difference. Like that's a big deal. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. 
It was I not mean, good. <laughs> no, that's not good at all. And I, 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 I talk to people all the time that are echoing something similar. We're like, Hey, I mean, personally I've killed an, arrow, an animal with a 780 grain arrow. Like it's kind of cool, but it is not at all an effective tool. <laughs> it's quiet. It is quiet. <laughs> no, I shot have an 80 pound bow at 32 inches. It was not quiet. <laughs> On a 700 and something green arrow, it wasn't quiet? Yeah, it was a, one of those old primes where like the mods oh, always lose, so yeah. it's like smack okay. every time. Okay. My yeah. bow <laughs> is quiet. Is So my buddy shoots, uh, I think his are like 480, 485 total. I think 480, I think is right about where he's at for his arrows. And mine and his, we haven't actually taken like a decibel reading. But it is an audible difference between my bow going off and his bow going off. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, I'm also probably shooting, you know, 50 feet per second, 40 feet per second slower than him too. Yeah. So, And I mean, the noise thing's weird because it's like, if like this broadhead I'm holding here, it's the vented VBS, like I call it the whistler. It's loud. It's way louder than my bow. And there's actually been a lot of people that have shot at animals through blinds, like put a target behind them and shot at them. And if they shoot at them, they get a reaction and they shoot out the back of the blind. The other direction, they don't really get a reaction. There's a lot of evidence showing that you're probably getting more reaction from the sound of the arrow coming at the animal than the bow itself. Now, your bow sounds like a shotgun. It's probably not great. <laughs> but yeah. So my buddy and I did studies on different fletching. This was back when we shot Trad. Um and we would stand next to the bale and listen as it was going by to the next the next target. And, uh, I mean, you could hear an audible difference, especially so we were just checking out, like, profiles and which profile was the quiet. It turns out that the banana fletching was actually the quietest profile of all of them. I think the loudest was, like, the, the shield cut. Yep, that's what we used to use, and they were loud. And and they were, I mean, it sounded like a NASCAR going around the track. I mean, that's how, like, a stock car going around. You could hear it just meow going by, and I was like, whoa. Then we shot the banana fletching. I think there, there was a sweet spot because you could do, like, the six-inch veins and, like, the four-and-a-half. And I think, like, I, th- I want to say the six inches were quieter, but obviously more drag and, and stuff on the arrow, but... Um, it, it was yeah. it was an interesting study that we did in the backyard, but uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of noise, and then you put a vented broadhead on, it's like oh my god, yeah. Which so, have you ever? It's I shot a doe last year that was stuck in a briar patch, which you know kind of mean, but whatever. And use a vented broadhead, and like it yawed so bad, it like had two exit holes <laughs> from the vent. And, like I could hear it going the whole way, and I'm like oh my gosh, that's bad. If this thing wasn't stuck in a bush, it probably would have ducked it. So what's the sweet spot for speed that the arrow connects with the deer before it actually ducks it at that point then? Or yeah, range. Not, or range. You're pro- I mean, I, you're probably you're not going to beat an animal ducking, but if you're, I mean, I would say shoot as fast as you comfortably can without sacrificing a ton of mass. Like myself, like if I can shoot a 540 grain arrow or a 500 grain arrow, 500 grains for myself is plenty heavy. I'll just shoot that and take the speed. I don't really go for a number unless it's on the bottom end like i don't want to go below 275 i've shot 250 before it's not much fun but for everyone's gonna be different i got a long arm so i can kind of get a little more out of it and then it's it just depends what you're trying to do like i can't get a fixed blade to tune at 300 foot a second yeah like i'd struggle with that 
But what, what, at 280, it's great. At, at 280, it does. Because that yeah, was like one of the things my buddy was telling me he was having a lot of trouble because um, he, he lengthened his draw. He he figured out that the bow shop actually gave him or told him the wrong draw length and set him up at the wrong draw length. And he's like, I feel like I'm bottoming out before I could actually hit the full wall of the bow, you know, or my, my draw is bottoming out or isn't bottoming out, I guess is what I should be saying. Right. Um, so he changed out his mods on his, on his bow and, uh, put, put the right mods in there and, uh, changed out the length. And all of a sudden now he's shooting way faster and because he's shooting faster, well, not way faster, but he's shooting faster. And now he was having problems tuning the actual broadhead, which. So that'll probably give you four or five foot a second, just in my experience, especially with that cure. If that's the friend you're talking about. That's not that bow, but a okay. different bow. But, and then I but think yeah. he upped the poundage back to 70 pounds as well. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, you're probably looking at five to 10 foot a second, but it's probably more an arrow spine issue. Hmm. If I had to guess, because you, yeah, so you like, so you did two things. One, you increased poundage and two, you lengthened your power stroke, which both of those are going to make that arrow act a little bit weaker. And depending where in the cam he was, you could have moved to a more aggressive position in the cam. So, so okay. Uh, yeah. Normally, like, it's, you don't see flight issues right away. You just see like a little bit more degradation. Like, my, like, if I shoot 285 with a fixed blade and flies great, 290 gets kind of squirrely. Maybe I need a little more vein. 300 like if i torque my grip i'm sending it off the block instead of just a few inches off and then so on and so forth to where eventually you got to put four giant veins with a pretty aggressive helical to calm that thing down which is kind of what i recommend anyway for shooting a fixed head because that added forgiveness is fairly beneficial for when you're shooting pretty steep angles or uneven footing or whatever so there would be the other so, flaws three short veins on the back and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there's it, multiple a, factors there to yeah. come into play I mean, that's what it comes to it's a system i mean if if you're just trying to find something that's going to minimize the number of things that are off so that when something's off that you can't plan for like oh it's wet and my bow grip's wet now i torque it different that you're not magnifying that because if you have three short veins and now your arrow is a little bit weak and now you're going a little faster than you're probably comfortable tuning and you're doing all this stuff and then you finally get it working and then one thing goes off and the whole thing just slides off a hill. Nice. So or it does like my boat did last year, falls out of a tree. <laughs> and it was fine though, right? Like zero. No, crack a limb. Yeah, crack a limb. Yeah. But that's fine. You I probably had like a backup bow in the truck and ready to go. No, or... <laughs> no, I actually broke two bows this year. Well, okay. So my buddy's not alone in that. <laughs> yeah. I'm on the number three. In that aspect. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I told I told him I said, and it was a joke, but I was like, you know, the more you mess with them, it seems like the more stuff you're breaking. I was like, I'm rocking the same string for the past three years, and still killing. So <laughs> it's on yeah. it's on its last leg there. That's pretty pretty bad, but it's still in tune. So and hey, timing that's is, probably more than most people. Timing is good. So <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I had a you know, but but I also I wasn't like. My buddy had a string made up for me. I was we were gonna throw it on, ended up not doing it, and then I was like, two weeks before season without like a break in on the string. No thanks. So rocking it, fingers crossed, it holds out like you know, all the way through January sixteenth. We're good. And then I'll worry about it then. So 
even though it's junk string zebras are junk according to you <laughs> Hey, if they work rocket, I just have bad luck. The only I, thing I break everything I touch is twist. I break everything I touch. <laughs> the twist on it is absolutely terrible all the time. Constant peep adjustment, and it's so become what you can, my nervous twitch. In what the, you can do is if go on. If if you wanted something with less stretch, you can just get a rubber band and use that instead of the zebra strings. Oh, that way we'll have less stretch. Gotcha. Yeah. I got you. I thought you were going to say get one of the old school peep sites that have the, the limb mounted rubber band or tubing that goes through oh. it to keep it straight, which. That's you, even a better idea. You, you know, do that. <laughs> might. I never had a problem with those before. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Ben, <laughs> if somebody wants to go <laughs> and buy some arrows, <laughs> some vector arrows, uh, what do they need to do? What do they need to look at? How do they go about ordering them? Uh, are they able to figure out the process? Does it figure out the arrow for them if they type in specs? What what happens there? All right. So you go to vectorcustomshop.com and you go to the arrows page and click an arrow. I personally, the ZMR is my favorite. I like a little bit lighter arrow. If you like a little heavier arrow, check out the HMR. And you put in your model, manufacturer, you select your draw length, draw weight, what point weight you like to shoot. And then you select your vein choices. There's three vein options. The big four fletch for a fixed or the small four fletch for mechanical. If you're a three fletch guy, there's a three fletch option, but you probably like the four fletch more. Yeah, don't be and, a three fletch guy. Yeah, come on. Like, just take the extra vein. What is this, more. the 90s? <laughs> yeah. This is like, four fletch on. era. And coming now for 2023, six Five fletch. fletch. <laughs> Actually, it's a whole extra vein at the four vein cost. <laughs> so, so anyway, back to the, just take the free vein, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what else do they do? And then you can pick if you want a right or a left helical. If you're one of those guys, which do you Does, do that? Do I pick? Yeah, you pick. Well, uh, Isaac picked for me, but yeah. well, um, we we just put this option out, so you probably didn't get to pick. But what do you pick? I, I believe it was right helical, which actually I think on a Matthews bow with a zebra string, I probably should have went left, right? Uh, I mean, it'll clock it left, but I don't really think it matters. Because eventually like it's it. going to correct itself anyway. That's what yeah, fletching but, does. But Yeah. So just <laughs> if, if you like left rocket, if not, eh, whatever, it probably doesn't matter. I think it depends like, on. So like if you shoot a single bevel, though, you better pick. Oh, it matters then. Yeah. <laughs> you better pick the yeah. right bevel for the fletch. So there is that. Yeah. So we were actually thinking if you shot a, so if you shot a left bevel broadhead with right helical fletchings, you would definitely unscrew your arrow. Yeah. That should be how that would work. Well, now there's some R and D that needs to be involved here. Yeah. Proving something not at all helpful. But probably <laughs> I think really it's very helpful and entertaining. <laughs> Just like shooting a tailgate. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's for science, guys. Science. Science, yo. Yeah. Um, I love YouTube science. It's like Tannerite in a microwave. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, really, I actually, I don't even know if that would do anything. Does it? <laughs> we need to find out. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> go to Vector Arrows if you want to order some arrows. You could pick your Helix. But uh, when you do that, make sure. We also you also have arrows of color. I didn't have that option, but 
Um, yeah, we have colors now. So you guys do your own dipping and and whatever. No, color. just the veins. Oh, that's no. Nobody yeah. cares about the veins. It's, it's not nearly as cool. Yeah. I actually we had an idea for a trad era. We called it trad flag. It was like the color of neon flagging tape. But I was the only one that liked that idea. No one else liked it. I like it. I like arrows I can find. So <laughs> something as much that as sticks I miss, out like a sore thumb is perfect for finding the arrow. Um, I just use bow fishing arrows. It makes sense. Nice, heavy, like fiberglass. Oh, with the the line on them. I got you. Okay. Well, that makes sense too. Uh, <laughs> so, ordered broadheads, uh, three blade, not yet available, uh, other than pre order, because people have been waiting, and you can't even get on to pre order a second order or anything on the website. I'm just saying, because yep, I've so tried. Um, so there's that. Um, but other than that, yeah, get your, uh, VBS and, uh, if it's in stock, which it seems like it sold it out is. in like a day last time you yeah, the had v- them in stock, maybe two. I think the, the VBS, I think is in stock right now. You can get some of those. It wasn't the MD3. like a couple weeks no ago. No way. So um, there's that, but don't worry about it, guys. Get your arrows, <laughs> get Get your broadheads if they're available. Maybe there will be another pre-order for the order. Or when are they? Is there a date when the last? Uh, we're looking. We're targeting early 2023 to have them available as a standard item. <sighs> okay, standard item 2023. That's a little bit far yeah. away, but I guess you know hunting season's almost over. So what the heck do you need them for? Um, <laughs> but yeah. So there's that. Uh, and uh, anything else? If they got any questions and they want to reach out to you guys, where would somebody find you? So you got two options. You can reach out to info at vectorcustomshop.com. That's where we handle our gen- general customer support questions. If you just have questions like that, we do also offer consultations to where you can meet with myself or my engineer for a 20 minute call. And we can walk you through all your questions and make sure we answer any concerns or just general things you want to know about how these arrows work, or what you might have to do to your setup to get them working at the best. So, and that's just at the banner at the top of the homepage. You can click on that to book a session. What's the consultation cost? So it's $20, but you get a $20 gift card afterwards. Oh, so that's not bad. It's like, no, it's, it's pretty much free, free, but yeah, not, but free. Yes. So that's perfect. And uh, it's been wonderful talking to you and, learning about the systems a little bit more and the detail that goes into it and uh look forward to seeing what you guys come out with in the future so uh it's been wonderful thank you can i ask one question yeah so this was great it's a lot of fun but why are you publicly challenged (sighs) you you just now want to ask that but uh so public land uh the story i just told you was on public land on a booner um and that's kind of a common occurrence first initially when i started the podcast and publicly challenged i hunt almost all public land um or at least i did i still do but what i'm saying is is it was new to me public land when i started the podcast and i wanted to learn more because i was truly publicly challenged having a hard time figuring it out and it wasn't necessarily the animals that much i mean figuring out the animals but it's figuring out the people and the animals um and working around that uh i don't really have a problem getting on animals anymore now it's just whether or not i connect with them so <laughs> it's a learning process we'll yeah. get there but i'm uh i'm publicly challenged 
no matter what. I like I'm it. pretty much challenged <laughs> just about everything I do, but yeah. the public land is even worse. Hence, publicly stairs, challenged. Stairs and shoelaces get me. Stairs, understand Velcro it is. <laughs> All right, Ben. It's been good talking to you, and I appreciate you coming on, man. Happy to be here. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.